When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready? See if you can identify these five clips in the order that they are played. It could be from a song, a movie, a TV show, or something else. But if it's coming from this podcast, then you know that it's from Generation X. Listen closely. Good luck. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Detective. After this, I'm Detective. gone. No big surprise. An underworld, a place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. And welcome to Who Will Save Generation X, the trivia game show that is dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I am Xavier, your host, and today we are back with our next single-player edition of the show that we call The Home Game. This alternative format to the show gives you a chance to play at home with a friend or by yourself, as well as giving you your fix of Gen X trivia in between regular episodes of the show. Here's how we play. Each episode, we invite a special guest and let them set the benchmark score for you to try and beat. Each round has a different game for you to try out, and at the end, you can compare your score with that of our special guest benchmark and earn your rank on the quiz. Every year, the podcast celebrates our favorite holiday with a special Halloween episode, and tonight is the first of our Halloween special episodes that we'll be having for you this year. A special episode calls for a special guest, and this year we wanted to have the one, the only, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark on the podcast. But then we remembered that we're from the slacker generation and didn't even try and book her on the show. So we did the next best thing and reached out to our friend who is a horror film junkie, Gen Xer, raised by scary movies, and frankly, the person most like Elvira that we could book on the show. And I'm glad it worked out that way. Please welcome to the show, the lovely and talented Denise, Mistress of the Dark. Hi, Denise. Thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Say hello to the listeners. Tell them a little bit about yourself and how you feel about setting the benchmark score for the episode. Hello. I am feeling pretty good about slaying the competition. I think I'm going to do well. I have been raised on horror movies since I was four years old, probably a little bit too young. I was terrified of Silver Bullet when my mother showed it to me. And I realized at that point that I loved being terrified. Wait a second. Your mom showed you Silver Bullet when you were four years old? Yes, she did. (laughs) (laughs) And it stayed with me for a long time. And I would sneak and watch horror movies behind her back. And she started watching them with me. I think she thought I was paying attention, but 
I was, and I loved every minute of it. That priest terrified me. Oh, yeah. When you jump through the window, oh, oh yeah. I, I had nightmares, but I loved being scared. And I still love being scared. You see, listeners, we got the right person for the job. Thanks for being here, Denise. <laughs> Thank you. So listeners, let's find out if you can outscore our special guest or see if you need to go back and refresh your memory of all the spooky stuff from your youth. The power struggle. In the opening of this episode, you heard five quick clips from Generation X. The game is called The Power Struggle, and in this game, you need to name those five clips in the order that they were played. If you get all five correct and in the correct order, then you will be bumped up an entire letter grade and rank at the end of the quiz. So think of it sort of as an extra credit question to help you out with your score. If you don't know it right away, don't worry. We'll play the clip a few times during the episode. So listen close and see if you can solve The Power Struggle. Good luck. You know, Denise, we all have experienced moments in our lives where we just don't want to deal with other people's crap. In these moments, we sometimes throw up our hands, roll our eyes, and just say, whatever. Whatever. To honor this time-love tradition of Generation X, if at some point during this episode you feel you're apathetic about answering a question, you can use your whatever lifeline, and the judges will give you a clue that could help you answer the question. You only get one whatever lifeline, so use it wisely, but please make sure you do use it. You cannot take it home in your trigger sheet bag. There are a total of 22 points available in this episode. So everyone keep track of your score and we'll see how well you did versus our special guest benchmark at the end of the episode. I see you shiver with anticipation. So that's enough talking about it. Let's do it. It's time to see if you can save Generation X from fading into oblivion. Round one. Round one. This episode is a game called In a World Coming Soon. In this game, I'll play selected parts of a movie trailer, and you need to tell me which movie it was a preview for. Since we're celebrating Halloween, Gen X style this episode, we have pulled three clips from the same horror movie franchise for you to identify. And what franchise would be better for a Halloween episode than... The one, the only, the classic Halloween. Between 1978 and 1995, there were six Halloween movies released for the franchise. There are clips from three of these movies. You'll get one point for each that you can answer correctly. But to get a complete correct answer, it will require you to get the full title of the movie. So if a movie has a subtitle, you need to get that one as well. All right. So it's not as easy as it sounds. Listen closely as there are clues in each of the clips to help you get it right. To make things more Halloween-y on this episode, <laughs> we are going to ask a trivia question about each of these movies, and you'll get one additional point for each that you get correct. Six total points available in the round. Movie number one starts off with a bang. Which Halloween movie is this? I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. He's not human. There was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason, that wasn't even remotely human. This is some kind of a joke. I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. What's this? It's a Celtic word. It means the Lord of the Dead. Mr. Garrett? Hey, Denise. Which Halloween movie is that? That is 1981 Halloween 2. Judges, is she correct? Is the answer Halloween 2? Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. Of course that's correct. Well done. Hey, uh, wait, I pressed the wrong button. We have a special Halloween correct sound effect we're going to play. So when you hear a correct answer, you'll hear this sound instead. 
a little bit more spooky for us. And here is your one point bonus question about Halloween 2. Jamie Lee Curtis reprised her role as Laurie Strode in Halloween 2. But in how many total movies in the franchise does Jamie Lee Curtis play Laurie Strode? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, 3, B, 5, C, 7, D, 8, or is it E, 68? Uh, are, are we counting the new trilogy? Yes, in the whole franchise. Okay. C. C7 is correct. Well done. <laughs> You're crushing this, Denise. Playing it. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Lee Curtis played the role of Laurie Strode in seven Halloween movies, as we said. Halloween in 1978. Halloween 2. Halloween H2O 20 years later. Halloween Resurrection 2018. That was a reboot of Halloween, wasn't it, Denise? Yeah, 2018. Then Halloween Kills in 2021. And most recently in Halloween Ends. In 2022, they're going to keep these movies going forever. However, she was in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, but as an uncredited role of a telephone operator. So she was technically in eight Halloween movies, but only seven as Laurie Strode, the ultimate last girl. Here is the next Halloween movie trailer. Listen up. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. Michael! He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Who's going to be next? What do you got, Denise? That is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Judges, let's see if she's right or not. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop him. Well done, Denise. That's also correct. Here's your one-point bonus question. What was the original title of the first Halloween movie? It's a multiple choice. Was it A, The Babysitter Murders? B, All Hallows' Eve? C, The Return of Michael Myers? D, October 31st? Or is it E, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Michael Myers? Hey, the babysitter murders. That is correct as well. <laughs> you are sweeping the round so far. Here's the fun fact. The events of the original script titled The Babysitter Murders took place over several days. The script was changed to have everything happen on the same day to reduce the number of locations and costume changes and keep the film under budget. It was decided that Halloween, the scariest night of the year, was the perfect night and title for the film. And they were correct. And here's our final movie in the round. Can you name this Halloween movie? You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. You happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Witchcraft. Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Hey, Denise. Which Halloween <laughs> film is that? That is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Stay tuned for the big giveaway at night. 
<laughs> Let's see if she's right, judges. Halloween 3, season of the witch, the night no one comes home. Well done. Your streak is still alive. And here's your final one point bonus question. The tagline for the first Halloween movie was the night he came home. For the second film, it was more of the night he came home. Here's your question. Why was the tagline for Halloween three season of the witch? The night no one comes home. This is not multiple choice. We're putting you to the test on this one. <laughs> This is hard work here. No one comes home because all the children's heads turn into goo, snakes, <laughs> insects. Goodbye. <laughs> judges, are we going to allow that? Yes. Well done. You've convinced the judges. Here's the fun fact. John Carpenter believed that the Halloween series had the potential to be an anthology series of films that centered around the night of Halloween, with each sequel containing its own characters, setting, and storyline. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was meant to be the first in that series that did not feature Michael Myers. Thank God they realized the error of their ways and brought Michael Myers back into the rest of the films where he was happy to slice up more people. I uh, love it. I am a huge Myers fan, but I think Halloween 3 is an underrated hit. At the time, it was received poorly, but over time, it's become a big cult hit. There's a large fan base around in it now. There was just the Halloween 45 convention, and Tom Atkins was there. And they released this limited edition Dr. Chalice figurine, complete with the beer. Because, uh -huh. you know, Dr. Chalice needed his beer. Right. <laughs> it presided over his own children. Uh, so I, and that is now going on eBay for a thousand dollars. So Whoa. it's, yeah, it's a big hit now. And I love that movie. Nice. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it. I, I think I want to go back and check it out. Before we start round two, let's take another listen to the power struggle. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Detective. After this, I'm Detective. gone. No big surprise. Detective! An underworld. A place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. Round two. Round two this episode is our trivia round. Each complete correct answer is worth two points. If you think you could convince the judges into giving you partial credit for your answer, you can award yourself one pity point for your partial correct response. We will use the honor system here. Good luck. This question is entitled, Hello, Boils and Ghouls. <laughs> if there's one thing Gen X can all get behind, it's an anthology series covering horror, the paranormal, science fiction, or some combo of those genres. Tales from the Crypt was one such series. It featured weekly live-action portrayals of stories from horror comic books from the 1950s, and it was notable for originally airing on HBO, thus including graphic violence, language, nudity, and sexual activity. But if you weren't one of those spoiled kids who had access to HBO, you probably watched the heavily edited reruns on Fox or CBS. Tales from the Crypt was also notable for having A-list and critically acclaimed stars on the show. Here's your question. Which of these actors did not appear in Tales from the Crypt? Was it A, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, B, Tom Hanks, C, Steve Buscemi, or is it D, Rosie O'Donnell? I'm going to have to say, this one is a hard one. (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell is correct. Well done. Wow. (laughs) Do we get our first perfect game here on on the podcast so far? Rosie O'Donnell is the correct answer. She never appeared in Tales from the Crypt. The show was originally envisioned as a trilogy feature film. This was changed to a three-season television program because the producers feared it would bomb as a movie. The show ended up being so popular that it went on for seven seasons and two movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Tom Hanks, and Steve Buscemi were all on the show at some point. But if you didn't pick Steve Buscemi because you thought you'd make some sort of cutesy, cryptkeeper look-alike joke, then you should be ashamed of yourself right now. Steve Buscemi is a national treasure and looks nothing like the Crypt Keeper, and we don't go in on those kinds of juvenile shenanigans here on the podcast. It's time to grow up and knock it off with all the immature jokes. Okay, here's our next question. It's called Send More Horny Guys. This is a movie question. The Return of the Living Dead is a cult comedy horror film from 1985 that established the popular concept within the zombie genre that zombies specifically hungered for brains rather than just human flesh. Here's your question. The events of The Return of the Living Dead kick off when Freddy, one of the main characters, is being shown around his new job when he witnesses a chemical leak that reanimates a corpse. This leak dominoes into a town-wide zombie apocalypse. Can you name the chemical that turns almost everyone in Louisville into a zombie? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, bioxin, B, trioxin, C, zioxin, D, chemical Z, or is it E, Viagra? Swing, swing. Um, I know this movie by heart. It's 245 trioxin. <laughs> well done should we just end the episode right now and just say you got an a on the quiz and just like shut it all down should we just like not even bother that's the easiest a i've ever earned in my life (laughs) finally my dad would be so proud of me (laughs) trioxin of course is correct o'bannon reportedly thought that this movie would be only popular with quote horny guys and so included some female nudity in the movie Later in the DVD commentary, he claimed that he was surprised on how many women were in the initial audiences and said that if he had known that so many women would show up, he would have shown Freddie naked as well. I personally would have loved that. <laughs> Judges? Okay. The next question is called, and I'm all out of bubblegum. This is a movie question. Professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper stars in one of John Carpenter's best films as Nada, a drifter who discovers the horrible truth that the rich are fascist fiends in a cult horror classic, They Live. Using a pair of sunglasses found at the site of a resistance meetup, Nada is able to see the subliminal messages being delivered via mass media to control and pacify the general population. The glasses also reveal that much of the ruling class is made up of aliens who are in the process of enslaving the world and terraforming Earth to their needs. Possibly the most iconic scene in the movie takes place when Nada tries to force the sunglasses on Frank, a friend he had made at a construction job, which results in a very long fistfight between the two. The question is, how long does that fight scene last? Is it A, 2 minutes and 30 seconds? B, Four minutes and 10 seconds. C, five minutes and 20 seconds. Or is it D, six minutes and 
69 seconds. 69, dudes! This one is hard. They've been at it for a long time. Yeah, that's what she said. And in the middle of it, he kept on asking him, just put on the glasses, just put on the glasses. He kept stopping. Um, so what's it going to be, Denise? Whatever. Whatever. Okay, you've used your whatever lifeline. Robin, you're the only one in the audience here tonight. Can you give her a clue that might help? She narrowed it down to either C, five minutes and 20 seconds, or D, six minutes, nine seconds. 69, Keep in mind that Denise doesn't listen to the show a whole lot. Ah, gotcha. My hint is we always put in a 69 joke and it's never the answer. (laughs) That's quite a uh, clue, Robin. I hope it wasn't too strong. So, knowing that now, Denise, are you going to pick A, B, C, or D? (laughs) C, five minutes and 20 seconds is correct. Well done. That's two more points. This nearly five and a half minute fight over a pair of sunglasses has been ranked as one of the greatest fight scenes ever and has been referenced and parodied in various media since then. Carpenter said that the fight took three weeks to rehearse and called it, quote, incredibly brutal and funny. Look! Look at him! They're everywhere! Now hold on. You ain't the first son of a bitch to wake up out of their dream. Two questions remain in the round. This one's called All the Damn Vampires. Another movie question. Joel Schumacher's 80s masterpiece, The Lost Boys, is credited with bringing a younger, sexier vampire into the mainstream pop culture. According to screenwriter James Jeremias, he and his writing partner Janice Fisher were inspired after reading Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. The Lost Boys is also noteworthy for being the first movie to star the two Corys, being Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Here's your question. Where does the movie The Lost Boys take place? Is it A, Santa Cruz? B, Santa Barbara? C, Santa Carla? Or is it D, Santa Monica. This one was also easy. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, you live on the East Coast, so maybe you're not quite as familiar with these towns on the West Coast. But, of course, you're going to get it super easy. So just put me out of my misery. I actually used to live in Santa Monica. (laughs) Beautiful state. (laughs) Santa Carla. Santa Carla, of course, is correct. Yep. (laughs) Well done. The judges are kind of moping over there. They're like, work hard on these questions and you're just mowing them all down. And they're like having a little pity party over there. Buck up, judges. It's going to be okay. It's Halloween. We're having fun. Right. I don't know what 80s girl did not watch that movie on repeat. Right. Specifically for Jason Patrick. I know people are going to fight me on Sutherland, but Jason Patrick got away. <laughs> Still to this day. <laughs> I watched that movie a ton, not for uh, the dudes on it, but because the girls that I hung out with, they loved to watch it. So I can attest that you're actually correct. So, but it's hard to kind of, you know, schmooze with the ladies when they're drooling over these vampires. It's hard for young Zabe to compare to these vampire hotties. But you had Jamie Gertz. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Taking place in the fictional town of Santa Carla, California. Most of the movie was filmed in Santa Cruz, California. While there haven't been any major vampire incidents in Santa Cruz, at least not that we know of, the town did once have a reputation for being the, quote, murder capital of the world after a series of murders that happened between 1970 and 1973. Eventually being attributed to three different killers, Santa Cruz went through 28 murders in 30 months, if you can believe that. 
It's no wonder Schumacher felt that it would make the perfect place for Santa Carla. Well, now let me put it this way. If all the corpses buried around here was to stand up all at once, we'd have one hell of a population problem. For our final question in the round, we're going to go back to the Halloween franchise, since we know you love it so much, Denise. However, it may not take a huge fan to get this one correct. The question is called Michael Myers. Your question is simply, what is the killer called in the script and credits for the 1978 movie Halloween? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, Michael Myers? B, The Shape? C, The Mask? D, The Shadow? Or is it E, The Dude in the Cosplay Captain Kirk Mask? The imposter may be identified by scratches on his face. I can't catch! Um, I, this one is hard because there's so many movies where they go back and forth, but I'm going to say The Shape. Nick Castle is credited as The Shape. Denise, everybody knows the name of the killer in Halloween is Michael Myers, and you're going to go off on some weird tangent of calling him The Shape and also be totally correct? Well done! The Shape is correct. There's no fooling you. In the John Carpenter script, as well as the closing credits, the killer is referred to as The Shape, as you said, Denise. John Carpenter's description of the character is, quote, He wasn't human, and he wasn't supernatural. He was somewhere in between. He was The Shape. He could be anywhere at night. He could be in the shadows. He'd watch you. And even though he moved like a human being, there was something about him different. Full disclosure, we added the scream to this quote. But in fairness, we figured that most of what comes out of John Carpenter's mouth during the Generation X timeline was punctuated by a scream of some sort. Thank you for all the scares in our childhood, Mr. Carpenter. Okay, we're going to take another listen to the Power Sugar clip before we start round three. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. We'll have it threaded up and ready to go right after these commercials. So don't go away. It's another Movie Mac Biggie, the attack of the killer tomatoes. If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from and subscribing for future episodes. The only way a show like this gets anywhere in this podcasting world is by positive reviews and word of mouth among friends. So if you're inclined, please help spread the word about the podcast and share it with that special Gen Xer in your life. We'd love to have you as a friend of the show. Thanks so much. The power struggle. Are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Detective. After this, I'm Detective. Gone. No big surprise. Detective! Underworld, a place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. Round three. Round three today is a game called Gen X Voice. With this game, we're going to listen to three clips of famous voices of the Generation Timeline, and you will need to tell me whose voice it belongs to. So we're looking for the name of the person speaking here. Each correct answer is worth two points. Good luck. For voice one, we're looking for the name of the man speaking here. We need you, Jesse. We got special work to do here, you and me. You've got the body. I've got the brain. 
think that's scarier listening to it than actually seeing it. But who's that Gen X voice? That is Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England. That is correct. Well done. Here's a fun fact. In part two of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, New Line Cinema originally didn't ask Robert England to return as Freddy Krueger and refused to give him a raise. A stuntman was cast as Freddy at the start of production, but after two weeks of filming, producers realized that this was a terrible lapse in judgment, fired the stuntman, rehired England, and met his demands. Come to Freddy. Our next Gen X voice is super recognizable, but remember... You're looking for the name of the person speaking and not the character. Here's our next voice. Listen close. Well, it's time to reach into the old vault for today's video treasure. <laughs> Boy, talk about scraping the bottom of the barrel. Ooh, smells like a really ripe one. Let's see. It's Killers from Space. Oh, yeah, right. Whose Gen X voice is that, Denise? That is the one and only Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Cassandra Peterson. That is correct. <laughs> well done. Thought we had you for a second. You almost stumped me. <laughs> yeah. A then unknown Brad Pitt auditioned to be one of the teenage boys roles in the movie Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. But Peterson thought that he was too cute and that Elvira would not be interested in the movie's love interest of Bob if Pitt was one of the teenagers pursuing her. She's even said that on her casting notes in his audition, she wrote next to his name, quote, yum, yum. Pitt managed to recover from not being cast in her movie when he bought her 29-room Gothic-style mansion in Los Angeles for $1.7 million and later sold it for a cool $40 million. You got the last laugh, I think. And our final voice of this episode is kind of hard to hear, so listen closely. There's some clues in the background that might be able to help you. Whose famous Gen X voice is this? I think this might be the most difficult question in the entire episode. You're at the goal line, Denise. You got the ball. You just got to fall into the end zone to get a perfect game. Let's see if I can add the pressure to you to get it wrong as we play our last final voice. I'm ready. The gun is loaded. Go for it. Go ahead. Pick it up. Tell you what. I'll let you hold the gun on me before I do it. Pick up the gun. Put it in my face. You know what to do. A little bit difficult to hear. Not the most well-known movie. For the perfect game, Denise, whose Gen X voice is that? We hear a woman screaming in the background. We hear a car revving, some sort of confrontation with a gun. Who is that very rugged voice? Is that? We want a name, just a single name of an actor, a very rugged voice. I think you finally stopped me. I genuinely do not know. Did I put the pressure on too hard when I was teasing you before they asked this question? I'm sorry. I think you might have. <laughs> Let yeah, me not, guess. I'm not really um, sorry, but I just thought I'd be a nice guy and say that. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid for the perfect game. Judges. I'm so sorry. That rugged voice that I was trying to lead you toward is none other than the great Rudger Hauer in the movie The Hitcher. Oh, have you ever seen that movie seen, before? I've seen that movie a hundred times, but I have not seen it in by over two decades. Yeah. If you only watched it 101 times, you would have the perfect game. But still, you did amazing on the show. Let's hear my fun fact, and then we'll get your final answer to the power struggle. The movie The Hitcher also starred C. Thomas Howell. 
And apparently, C. Thomas Howell was very nervous, both on and off set around Howard, admitting that he was afraid of him due to his incredible intensity as an actor. Rudger Hauer wasn't too comfortable with how easily his intensity fit roles of movies for bad guys. So after this role, he actively did not want to play any antagonist roles. A headline from a periodical in Washington reads, quote, he plays a villain without a hitch. <laughs> Get it? Hitch. <laughs> that didn't sit well with them. Unfortunately, that ship has sailed and he did go on to play more villains, although I'm not sure that he was ever truly typecast for anything other than a very intense actor. He had many diverse roles that made many great films that are iconic in the Gen X timeline. R.I.P. Rudger Hauer. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And you have burned so very, very brightly, Roy. We'll take one last listen to the power struggle question and then get your answer. Here's your last listen, Denise. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Detective. After this, I'm Detective. gone. No big surprise. Detective! Underworld, a place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. Hey, Denise, what is your final answer for the Power Struggle question this episode? Remember, you need to name what the clip is from and in the correct order. What do you got? For one, I have oh, those maggots. the Lost Boys. <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? Two, I have The Exorcist. Three, that one trusted me. I am going to just, and this is probably definitely wrong, Loaded Weapon. Oh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. You want to try for the last two, just for funsies? Yes. The fourth is Dead and Bloated by Stone Temple Pilots. The fifth is one of the best horror anthology shows ever, Tales from the Dark Side. That is correct. Well done, but you just missed one of the five. Clip three was from the 1995 movie Seven. It barely made it into the Gen X timeline. If you listen to oh. it, you can hear, uh, what's his name? Can't think of his name. Electric Company guy. The Electric Company guy. He was so not Brad Pitt. He's <laughs> the Electric Company. Why well, can't I think of his name? He's got a voice that sounds like this. Oh, 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 Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. my God. Sorry. Why I, I, didn't know. I knew who the other guy was in that movie. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. If you listen closely, you can hear Morgan Freeman's voice in the beginning of it. So very close to getting oh. it correct. We normally don't get the power struggle question answered. So don't feel bad about missing that one. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Denise, first, thank you so much for lending your time and talents to the podcast. I think you did amazing. But did you have a good time on the show? I had. A rad time. It was so fun. I love horror movie trivia. I loved hearing the trailers. It's been so long since I've heard some of the original trailers. So that was really fun to hear. If we scratch that nostalgia itch for you, then we're doing our job. <laughs> oh, yes. Before we hand out the ranks to the quiz, do you have a shout out that you'd like to make? I like to say hi to my daughter, Adriana. She's listening. Did you make your daughter, when she was four, watch Silver Bullet with you? Did you keep that family tradition alive? Oh, that is the best family tradition to keep alive. I've been having her watch horror movies even before she realized she was watching horror movies. <laughs> and she can watch The Exorcist without 
feeling any kind of fear at all. And meanwhile, I've seen grown people, you know, people in their 40s, 50s say that they're absolutely terrified of that movie. And she's like, yeah, it's kind of funny, especially when she spins her head. <laughs> so I feel like I'm proud of that. Although Jamie Lee Curtis would not approve. <laughs> Denise, do you have a message for those listening that you beat here today, which I would imagine would be quite a few people? Be kind to them. Be kind? Be okay, kind do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> don't be kind if you don't want to. It's Halloween. But do you have a message to anybody that's listening that, that you beat? Have a deliciously disturbing Halloween. And oh yeah, unpleasant dreams. <laughs> Thanks again for being on the show, Denise. All right, everybody. Do you remember your score? There were 22 points available, but let's go see how well you did and get the grades and ranks. Robin, what was Denise's final score? Almost a perfect score, Denise. That was incredible. 20 points total. Wow. If you're playing against our special guests and scored less than 20 points, then you let Denise, Mistress of the Dark, beat you. And you might want to go back and brush up on your memories of your youth. You really lived up to that Mistress of the Dark bit. I was just kind of joking around at the beginning, but you know your horror. Don't try it was Elvira from Wish. <laughs> this episode, we're using the Gen X movie slasher scoring system to grade the quiz. You know, anyone can be an antagonist in a horror movie, but it takes a little something extra to be considered a slasher in a horror movie. Let's go to the ranks. A score of 20 to 22 points is the grade of an A, and that earns you the rank of who else on a Halloween episode but Michael Myers. That's your grade, Denise. I feel so special for that one. <laughs> John Carpenter proved that he was a master of horror early on in his career with the release of 1978's Halloween. The hit movie helped kick off the slasher genre as we know it today. Michael Myers was created to represent pure evil. And I think he lived up to the billing. This theme continues throughout the entire Halloween series as Michael continues to kill without reason, appearing as a physical manifestation of the boogeyman himself. So for over four decades of slicing fools up, we give Michael Myers an A and an A for you as well for doing your part to save Generation X from being forgotten. Congrats on your A. Well done. Thank you. I feel flattered. Now what do I win for the big giveaway? <laughs> oh, the big giveaway? You'll have to stay tuned right after the show. Be sure you have your silver shamrock mask on. A score of 18 to 19 points is enough for a B. And the rank of Jason Voorhees, the slasher from the Friday the 13th franchise, was the Pepsi to Michael Myers Coke. Your personal taste and what you like in your psycho killers may vary, but anyone who famously grabbed a sleeping bag full of degenerate teenagers and bashed them up against the side of a pine tree has to earn at least a B on today's quiz. A score of 16 to 17 points is enough for a C, and that gives you the rank of Freddy Krueger. Despite the fact that he was a serial killer of children, perhaps no other horror icon is as loved the world over as Freddy Krueger. Portrayed by Robert England in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy has become a pop culture phenomenon that has gone beyond the films into the mainstream consciousness. Freddy would rank higher, but it seems like the horror movie rules in his universe change from movie to movie. In each flick, there's some new elaborate way to stop Freddy. And it works until it doesn't. Ways to stop him have ranged between true love's kiss to holy water to a freaking pipe bomb. The inconsistencies and the Freddy lore weakens him as a slasher, so we had to give him only a C in the ranks. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Score of 14 to 15 points is enough for a D and the rank of Chucky from Child's Play. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Look, Chucky has his charms and his place in the slasher pantheon, 
But come on, dude. At the end, he's still just a two-foot-tall doll. Sure, the doll is possessed by a serial killer, but unless you get ambushed by the little guy, seems to me someone could just kind of drop kick him into a closet and lock the door and roll the credits. When you compare Chucky to the others in these ranks, he just literally does not measure up to any level except for maybe his foul mouth. Chucky is scary enough for the rank of a D on the quiz, but just barely. Andy, no, please. We're friends to the end, remember? This is the end, friend. And finally, if you scored 13 or less, well, that's a failing grade, I'm afraid, as is your rank of the Leprechaun. Who would have thought that a movie chock full of the cringiest rhymes imaginable, poor acting, confusing continuity, and a slapdash look of cheap sets and shaky camera work could possibly be this bad? Star of the film Warwick Davis is one of us, and this F does not belong to him in any way, but everything else that swirls around within the orbit of this turd. If A Nightmare Before Christmas is the correct way to tell a holiday crossover story, then The Leprechaun is the opposite of that. Leprechaun is not scary on any level. Ugly? Yes. The ability to be taken seriously? No. It's not funny, not interesting, and how they managed to make eight of these awful films is beyond me. The only bright spot and reason for it to even exist is the line at the end of the first movie when they kill the little bastard and say, Fuck you, Lucky Charms. It's the movie's Asa La Vista moment, but as a whole, the movie is an epic failure, as is this grade of an F for not getting more than 14 points on the quiz. Try again on the next episode of The Home Game and see if you can get a passing grade. Well, see you next time, boys and girls. <laughs> I have one shout out to give. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our new Patreon supporter, Stephanie, a.k.a. Sapphire Girl recently signed up for our newest tier on Patreon called The 69 Club. 69, dudes! The newest tier only costs $1.69 to join. However, we have a special going on on our Patreon site that if anyone joins The 69 Club at $1.69, they automatically get the benefits of the $6 Double Dare tier. This is a limited time offer and is limited to only the first 69 people that sign up. And then that's it. So check us out on Patreon and see what all the new offers are all about. But here on this episode, we want to celebrate Stephanie for joining. Here's a sound clip in your honor, Stephanie, that we hope you especially like. Especially like. Stephanie, this one's for you. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. We hope you enjoyed playing along this episode of The Home Game, and we'll post your score on our Facebook group page. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a Patreon account set up for those who would like to take advantage of the special rewards we give out for becoming a Patreon subscriber. However, if you just want to send some appreciation for what we're trying to do here, we also offer our Venmo account, and you can send that to who will save Gen X. Detailed information is available in the show notes for both of these ways to send some love to the show. If you have questions, comments, a shout out, or would like to sign up to become a guest on the show, you can email me at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and invite you to become a friend of the show. Well, that's <clears throat> time to change. Well, that's it for this edition of The Home Game. Thanks so much for to all of you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back with our regular version of the podcast on the next episode, where we will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later.
It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy, 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 happy